Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Kublup campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. So the Sermon on the Mount is a bit like, I don't know if this just happened when I was a boy, but when I was in school, there was this big health push all of a sudden, and they called it uh, the Food Group Pyramid. And you had your, I think it was one piece of meat a day, then two, maybe dairy or fruit, three, dairy. There was cereals, there was veg. And the Sermon on the Mount really for us as Christians is what we need to have a regular balanced diet. We need to come back to it time and time again because it's, I think it's true to say that there's lots that can come in our daily lives that knocks us off the course of being a disciple. And the Sermon on the Mount is the teaching straight from the mouth of Jesus designed to coach us through, to guide us through life. You know, I have a laptop at home and most of the time it works really well, but every now and again it'll start to lag and slow down and even freeze at times. And after the test of patience has gone through my system, I uh, try a few things. Often it's just that there are some updates that need to be made or some things that need to be cleared off and all I need to do is reset and restart it and it works fine again afterwards. And I think for us at this cultural point in our time of life, we need a bit of a reset because there's lots of voices and opinions and ideas uh, that come through our filters day in, day out, from all different directions. And there's such a fast-paced change, rate of change going on in our culture of what is acceptable, what is true, what is moral. It's changing all the time. Many of you will know that in Victoria, uh, just the last couple of weeks, they've passed new legislation that basically could make it possible for pastors and counsellors and parents there to uh, be prosecuted if they counsel or pray for children struggling with gender or sexual identity. The talk about that too is that it will make its way uh, here eventually, uh, possibly through this current Labor government. Just last weekend in the West Australian, you may have seen this news article where uh, Providence Church, who meet at Perth Modern on the weekends and on Friday nights, were basically slammed by an unnamed person who's not working for the school, not from the government, but quoted as saying this, they shouldn't meet there because the beliefs promoted by the church are damaging and oppressive. They pose a real and unnecessary risk to the health and safety of students. The structure of the church is almost cult-like and systematically restricts the roles and responsibilities of women. No input from uh, Rory Shiner, the pastor there in the picture. No input except from the government and they didn't seem to have a problem with it. But these are the sorts of things that are swirling around that come into our consciousness week by week. Then many of you too will know that recently a famous Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias was uh, found with evidence to have committed terrible, persistent, repeated uh, sexual and emotional abuses against many women over many different years. And this isn't from the media, this report. It's from lawyers who were appointed by his own ministry. And these lawyers, with the help of private investigators and 
uh, police and others have uncovered this information and it's devastating. This is a man who not only led countless to the Lord, but he emboldened, emboldened Christians everywhere to be loud and proud about their faith. Our faith makes sense in the world today was his message. And he was revered and loved and respected. And so many Christians are asking questions like, well, what does this mean now? Was he ever really a disciple? You know, he was held up as this model Christian. What do we do about this information? Do we throw away his books? Do we stop listening to his teaching? Was any of it real? How do we reconcile all this? I don't know the answers to those particular questions, but I do know that we need to come back to the one who never fails, who never falls, who never leaves us nor forsakes us, and we need to build our lives upon his word, what he says is true, what he says really matters. He says in the last part of this Sermon on the Mount, don't just hear my words, put them into practice. That's the rock on which you need to build your lives. And so that's what this series is going to be about for all of us. And we'll get the opportunity. It's not an easy sermon. It's challenging. Jesus is portraying a different world to the one you and I engage in every day of our lives out there in our, in our spheres, so to speak. But this morning, we're going to start with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 1 to 11. And so let's turn there now. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What we don't read in this passage but comes in the, in the chapter before, chapter 4, is that this moment in time where Jesus gives this sermon is quite profound. He's just started his ministry. It's early days. And he's been travelling around Judea and Galilee and the whole region preaching a very simple message, one that's summarised by Matthew as, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near or at hand. And he not only preaches this message as he goes around, but he demonstrates the truth of it by healing every sickness and disease. And not just little scrapes on the knee or the sniffles, but it's severe pain, Matthew says. It's paralysis, it's seizures, it's demon possession. It's profound power on display for the people. And what sets Jesus apart from anyone that's ever come before is that he not only talks the talk, he walks the walk. And it's a profound revelation for us because it's easy to talk, isn't it? We know it's easy to talk. 
It's easy to point out things that are wrong or uh, just pray even, you know, I pray for you as you go on your way. But there's an aspect of the kingdom of heaven that only comes in the doing, in the walking of the walk as Jesus did, in binding up the wounds of the poor and the broken, in drawing near to those who are grieving, love in action, service on display. It's not just there, there, you'll be okay. Jesus didn't do that, neither should we. And so understandably, as Jesus is doing this, there's this supernaturally charged atmosphere. You know, people are excited. They're anticipating, what does this man mean? What does he, what's he doing? What does that mean? Is this the Messiah, the one we've waited for, for generation after generation? Is this the Messiah? Is the kingdom of God, the age of unparalleled peace and joy and freedom and blessing about to come? And so, understandably, in this atmosphere, crowds flock to Jesus and people too will be drawn to us as we manifest the life of this kingdom of heaven. In those days, oh, sorry, when Jesus uh, sees the crowds, he does something interesting. He goes up to the mountain and he sits down and he begins to teach. And rabbis in those times, uh, they would teach in two ways. Sometimes they would walk around and the disciples or the crowd around them would just follow and listen as he walked. But then every now and again, they would sit down. And the sitting down was the sign to those who were with him that something significant is about to be said. You need to pay attention and it may take some time. There's a a cultural reference there that says that the people had to stand while the rabbi sat because otherwise they might fall asleep. It was such a significant moment and might take some time and they were worried about people falling asleep. But no chance of that with Jesus, obviously. But Jesus sits down and he begins to teach. And as everyone draws near, the disciples come close. The crowd is still there. This is what he says first. The word blessed. Blessed. As he's talking about his kingdom, that's the first word he wants them to hear. And not only the first time, but over and over again through this Beatitudes, blessed, blessed blessed. And it's significant because when we go back to Genesis chapter 1, what's the first thing God does when he creates man and woman in his image is he blesses them. And then as he's setting up the priesthood of Israel and he's telling the priests how he wants them to act and what he wants them to do, he tells them to bless the people. And so now Jesus comes and the first part of his great manifesto as he's got everyone's attention, he's saying blessed. And we need to know that that is the first and greatest desire of the heart of our God is to bless, not to curse, not to run down, not to make our lives difficult or to to curse, but to bless. That's his heart for you and for me and for the world, incidentally. What does it mean to be blessed? It's lost a bit of meaning in our time. There's hashtag blessed, you know, if we have a good meal or if we, you know, fall into some good fortune. Well, the Greek in this passage, the word that Matthew uses is makarios, 
which in English means happy or fortunate or well-off. But as always with our English translation, and particularly the way we use those words today, it doesn't really quite meet the truth because I will say and I will feel happy when the Fremantle Dockers win, but it then quickly dissipates in the next couple of days or the next weekend when we go out and lose. I might feel fortunate that I live in this city of Perth, but if I was to move to the back end of beyond, where there was nothing and no facilities, I might feel less enjoyable about it. That's because happiness, as we've tended to use it in this day and age, is more dependent on our personal circumstances or our temporary emotions. But Christian blessedness is deeper. As it says up there from Dallas Willard, it refers to the highest type of well-being, holistic well-being possible for human beings. You know, so it's important at this point to clarify, this isn't a prosperity gospel. This isn't a promise to be healthy, wealthy, or successful. But Donald Hagner puts it this way, I think, really helpfully. Rather than happiness in its mundane sense, it refers to the deep inner joy of those who have long awaited the salvation promised by God and who now begin to experience its fulfillment. Now begin to experience its fulfillment. The Macarori are the deeply or supremely happy, irrespective of my personal state. I still feel negative emotions. I'm a human being, that's healthy. But inside, there's a difference as I go through those negative emotions because I have a God who loves me enough to send his own son Give him for me so that I never have to feel alone, that I never have to worry about the end result because he is with me and for me and never leaves me nor forsakes me. And this is why the gospel is good news today. It's a little bit (laughs) perhaps really revealing too much of my inner life, but one of the cries of my heart last year before the Lord was, Lord, why why are you good news today? I know myself personally, but how do I communicate to those around me? Why is it still good news? Why are you still the gospel? And then as I was preparing for today, it, it struck me because we know, don't we, that everyone in this world is desperately searching for happiness. Everyone wants to feel joy. Everyone wants to be well, unless there's something seriously going wrong, and that's a separate issue. But our culture is desperately trying to find it in whatever nook and cranny that they can. But it's all in the wrong places. There's something now called a happiness movement to reflect this moment in history that we're in. This happiness movement is all about discovering your own authentic happiness and sharing it with others. Your own authentic happiness. As if it's something that's subjective and conditional to you. Yale University now offers a course on happiness and it's become the most popular course in their history. 25% of undergrads will choose it as their elective. They want to be happy. I heard something the other day that in the year 2000, there were 50 books released with happiness in the title. And in 2008, there were 4,000 books with happiness in the title. And then in 2017, it was up to 23,000 books 
with the word happy as people are hungry and searching and desperate to read about, how can I be happy? I don't feel anything even. Or I'm always down here. I want to be up here. And it's such a terrible shame because there is a book that tells us how to be happy. There is a book where you can find the true meaning of joy. It's called the Bible. And it says that Jesus Christ is blessedness, is happiness. It's a shame. But that's why we've got the good news and we can share that with a world that's hurting. We don't judge it for that. We've been there too, all of us. Sometimes we get caught in it today, but we have this abiding blessing. Jesus continues and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. If we look at the right-hand column there, you'll see that the first and eighth blessings act as a bit of a bookend. They both say, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is about. That's what he's announcing, is this arrival of life in the kingdom. But notice it's in the present tense. Theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. It's like he's saying, if you want to find the life you long for, I can give it to you. It's found in the kingdom of heaven and it's available right here, right now. And I emphasize this today because, and I really don't want to offend, that's, please understand my heart, but there's increasingly a lot of well-meaning Christians uh, are talking a lot about the end times about the kingdom to come, about the, the state of the world we're in now, and surely it's not too far away. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is, if that's all we're filling ourselves up with, and if that's all that we're talking about and all that we're sharing, then we're out of balance because the kingdom of heaven is here. That's what Jesus came to do, to bring, to experience now, as we read in the quote from Hagner. Yes, there is a future reality to come where every eye will see, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every tear will be wiped from your eyes. You will see God. These other things from two to seven will be the reality. But don't miss what is now. We can't help people if we're only just talking about something to come. But there's a tangible reality to the kingdom now, and you can experience it, Jesus is saying. In the left-hand column is the characteristics of what life in this kingdom will look like. And it's for a crowd that would have been listening to Jesus at the time, it's deeply shocking. For us as, as people today, we are probably a little bit conditioned to it because uh, people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr., and Simon and Garfunkel, who's Fankel, who said, blessed are the, the, uh, the ratted on, the sat upon, uh, the spat upon. You know, we've, it's something that's come into our culture wonderfully in some senses. But we're a bit immune to the reality of what's going on here. And it's shocking for the hearers of the day. And the reason I think 
it is, is because Jesus is doing two things. He's speaking to the crowd and he's speaking to the disciples. And for the crowd, he's both bringing invitation and conviction. The invitation is that anyone who wants to receive true blessed life in the kingdom of heaven can receive it. You know, if we uh, recall that left-hand column, none of those things, actually, Charles, if we can just skip back to it for a sec, none of those things are external. You know, none of it's about how well you dress, what car you drive, how sculpted your Adonis body is. It's not about how much money you have in your retirement. It's not about how talented you are, how successful, how smart you are. It's not even about how religious you are. Because in number one there, the very first thing Jesus points to, poor in spirit. There's two words for the uh, Greek words for the word poor there. One is someone who you know, makes enough to eat meat ends, make ends meat. Is that the saying? <laughs> they scrape by, basically. They don't have fancy things, but they do okay. They're, they're alive at their own hand. But the word that is used here is the other word, tokos, and it means having absolutely nothing, abject poverty. In fact, the word is a, it comes from a root word that means to cower down, in the position of begging because the only way you're going to survive is if someone kind enough comes along and gives you the food you need to survive that day. That's this word poor. But it's not a physical poverty, it's a spiritual. It's that I am desperately dead in the water if someone, i.e. God, doesn't come along and give me what I need. I have no merit, no claim, nothing within myself. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I need the kindness of God to save me. That is blessed in the kingdom of heaven. And that's every single one of us on the planet. It's an invitation from the Lord. My grace is sufficient for you. Come into my kingdom. But at the same time, it's conviction against those who think they've already made it. I've already arrived apart from Jesus. There would have been in this crowd Pharisees who believed that Uh, by strictly adhering to the law, that they were safe, they were doing well, they were blessed. Sadducees who thought that their power and influence meant they were on the right track. The Essenes, they were a group who went and hid in the uh, remote regions, in the caves of the desert, thinking that they needed to remove themselves from society and then they would be blessed and safe with God. The Zealots thought that it was political revolution, violence in the streets, that would qualify them. And it's not necessarily those specific things that we face today, but we do have a world that says, blessed are the rich. Blessed are the ones who you can see, the ones who are well-liked, the ones who are successful, famous, the self-made men and women, those who are doing well for themselves, those who speak their truth, those who... Go their own way. I did it my way. But the Beatitudes condemn that spirit. They condemn that heart. This is what the Lord desires. This is what he blesses. It says, only grace. Only grace. His grace. His righteousness is enough. 
Third, then, is the, what he's doing for the disciples, and that's giving instruction, giving a guide, an outline of what it looks like, the characteristics and the virtues that will start to be produced in their lives as disciples. Now, it's important that I clarify that the way these Beatitudes are written in the Greek is that they're not conditions. They're not commands to go and do them. And I don't know if you've ever tried to be um, in mourning or tried to be poor in spirit or tried to be persecuted. I mean, if you do, you've got something probably a little bit wrong. (laughs) Is that okay to say? Seek medical help. Um, (laughs) But, you know, that's not what they are. In the Greek, it's written as reality, as statements of what already is. In Jesus, this is who you are and are becoming. It's going to manifest in you as the kingdom of heaven descends upon your heart and your life. You know, God said in in Jeremiah that the new covenant, he would bring a new mind and a new heart. That's the reality of the work of Jesus. And as he influences us, as we live in him, as we follow his way, as we practice his way, these become our reality. It's like the caterpillar up there. The caterpillar on its own is short and stubby and hairy and not very attractive in my personal opinion, but it goes through this transformation process. It goes into the cocoon, it experiences metamorphosis. The tissues, the limbs, the organs change, and when the process is finished, it emerges as this beautiful butterfly ready to fly and to soar and to flitter among the gardens. And there's something of the reality of this that happens to us when Jesus comes. We're being transformed from glory to glory. Derwin Gray explains it this way. He says, the Beatitudes are a description. Sorry, Charles, if we could just pop that up. The Beatitudes are a description of how God's kingdom enters man's realm and transforms it. They're a picture of what God's people, under his rule and reign of grace, live like on the earth. They are the ethos of heaven invading earth. It's like God's people, I love this, it's like God's people bring the currency of heaven on earth and spend it enriching everybody's life. Is that something that defines you? I mean, really, we have to, this is what the Beatitudes are for, reflection, guidance. Is my life a demonstration of this kingdom? Am I bringing the currency of heaven to this earth? That's That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit is in you for. But it requires entering into that rule and reign of grace. Uh, Charles, if we could just mix the order up a bit and skip to the last slide. Before I close with this final story, just as best I could come up with the kind of the God values and the self values, the world values. As you look through those, which one are you tending more towards? You know, are you poor in spirit? Do you depend wholly on God? Are you a mourner? Do you care about the state of this world? Are you meek? Are you gentle in the right ways? 
sometimes speaking the word in truth that needs to be said, sometimes just being a peacemaker? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? You may not do everything right. Notice it doesn't say that. It doesn't say you are fully perfect. It says you hunger and thirst to do what's right and to be in God's alignment. Blessed are the merciful. They actually reach out and they do something about the things they see that aren't right or good. Are you pure in heart? (laughs) I don't think anyone's pure in heart. (laughs) But are you seeking the Lord, his way? Are you standing firm in what you know to be true? Or are you being shunted left and right, trying to chase the wind? Are you a peacemaker? Or do you want to be the best at all costs? You want to get everything you can in life. Are you persecuted for your faith? Are people mistreating you? Are they running you down? Or are you making sure you stay hidden off to the side so that you don't rock the boat? Close with this story about how Viktor Yushchenko, hopefully I can say that right throughout, Viktor Yushchenko became the president of the Ukraine in 2004. But in the lead up to the election, he was vigorously opposed by the party that was in power at the time. And the party at the time, well, be to say allegedly, but Yushchenko was mysteriously poisoned in the lead up. And his face, as you can see, became disfigured and he almost lost his life. On the day of the election, though, he was, he was winning. <laughs> he was comfortably in the lead. But because of this government that was existing at the time, they tampered with the results and then got their state-run media to pronounce to their nation that the, power, the party in power had come back in. They'd won. But as the journalist... Uh, was speaking and declaring the winner of the existing regime, in the corner there, and this is a, 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 the actual image that was there, as the journalist is announcing the news that this government has won again, the deaf interpreter in the corner there is saying something different. She doesn't want to speak the lies. She refuses to translate them as the journalist is speaking. So instead she signs this. I'm addressing all the deaf citizens of Ukraine. They are lying. And I'm ashamed to translate those lies. Yushchenko is our president. And so what happens is the deaf community get this news, they start texting one another, start spreading the message, and there's this upswell of riots, well, not riots, protests, They protest in the streets. Millions of people in Kiev are protesting this government, saying it's wrong. We need a new election. And eventually it happens. They do a new election and Yushchenko wins in a landslide and enters into power. He becomes the new president. I raise this story because that that image is what we're faced with day in, day out. On the big screen is the world's message that says that spreads this lie, that you're blessed if you're doing well. You're blessed if you're successful, wealthy, confident, put together. On the outside, you seem okay. But Jesus comes along in the little screen and his signs are different. And he's saying something else. Don't believe it. 
They're lying. In the kingdom of heaven, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourning, the persecuted, and so on. Because we look at the outward appearance. That's what we tend and default to care about. But God looks at the heart. That's what he came to transform from the inside out. That's the kingdom of heaven. So as we move into a time of prayer, which screen are you looking at? Which message are you listening to? The one that Jesus says is true or the one that's bombarding you, no doubt, day in, day out? Hold on to the truth. Come back to the words of Jesus himself. Let's take this ride of the Sermon of the Mount and assess, evaluate, am I actually following Jesus? Is my mind and my heart filled with his truth or something else's? Wherever you sit today in those columns that we showed earlier, Jesus just says this simple message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what matters. Let's close as we pray about that now. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.